Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a mailbag edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. We're going to take a few minutes today and break out three questions that are uh, percolating around uh, the college football landscape as well as the Alabama camp. And I'm going to start with one question. I think this is the favorite, uh, one of my favorite questions that uh, that we've gotten from uh, sort of an email thread that we have with uh, some of our Zoom uh, member participants. Speaking of the Zoom, uh, join the member program. The Zoom calls one and two are scheduled, and uh, those invitations or those meeting announcements will go out uh, shortly. So if you're a part of the program, you'll receive that. And we'd like to have as many people participate with us as possible because those were a whale of a good time last year. And we expect that they're even going to be better this year. So Wayne asked a question and Cole paraphrased it. Hey, this is a really talented team. Where's the leadership coming from? And when I think about that, it kind of reminds me of 2010, 2014, very, very talented teams. But there were some lapses on those teams. And I think uh, I think those were voids or leadership voids. And so this is, uh, you know, we think about Alabama beats Alabama. And so this is a legitimate question. Where does the leadership come from? So I'm going to run through some some thoughts and perspectives like we do. This is conjecture. I'm not in the building. I'm not walking uh, the sidelines. I don't have any level of access that I wish <laughs> that I wish that I did. Uh, and sometimes I think that I do, but I do not. And so this is all conjecture based on what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, what I'm anticipating from some of these individual players. And so I'm going to list a handful of players and just uh, just sort of a blurb about them that makes me think that they're poised to, to stand out or step up into uh, leadership capacities uh, within the team th- this year. I'll be right on some and wrong on the other, others, and that's just the the privilege or uh, sort of the the fun of doing some of this. So I'm going to start off in no particular order. 
I'm going to start off with Josh Job. We talked about last year, Josh, Josh being a guy that uh, there was a particular play where he just got mad. He made a good play. He actually batted the ball away and made uh, just a really good play. But he thought he could have made another a better play. He thought he could have pulled the ball down. And so he just got mad at himself for making a good play but not a great play. And so I think that's the, that's the fire in the belly that Josh has. I think that he has a more pronounced sort of leadership role being the number one corner this year. And I think that uh, he's going to be a very solid example for some of the young uh, defensive backs on the tie roster. Uh, Jordan Battle is another defensive back that I think sort of fits in this category as well. Uh, in some of the interviews that he did last year, one of them I remember that he, he spent time talking about how he's a quiet guy, an unassuming guy. And that last year that he needed, now that he knew his role better, that he needed to step up and be louder and that he needed to lead some of the younger guys uh, last year. And I think we saw some of that, uh, certainly on the field. I think we saw some of that. And I think we're going to see more of that as he as he enters uh, his junior season. I think he's really going to pro- uh, progress. Jordan Battle is going to be one of the leaders on the field in terms of play and production. I think he's going to be one of the better safeties in the con- conference, if not country. And I think he's going to be a leader in the locker room for uh, for the this Alabama team. Phil Mathis, uh, he's a longstanding contributor, a very vocal player. Uh, he has been uh, he went to a, he went to uh, SEC media days. He's been in a couple of the interviews. I think that's sometimes a signal that uh, the coach perceives those players uh, as leaders. Uh, we'll talk about some of those other guys today, probably not all of them, but I think Phil uh, Phil Mathis is well positioned to be a leader. He there's a player that could have left. I think he would have been drafted, uh, but he came back uh, to play on the 2021 team. And so I think he's invested in the success of the team. He's invested in having a bigger role, and he certainly came back for this team to be successful. And I don't think he'll shy away uh, from communicating when the need arrives. Uh, arises. Uh, Brian uh, Brian Robinson and Chris Owens are two other guys that I would put into that category. Both of them, with Phil, could have left, could have gone pro. Uh, they all came back. Both of them have been in interviews, post post practice interviews, and so I think that speaks. Uh, to uh, sort of a vision that the team has or that the, the coaching staff has for them. Chris Owens, even the way that he presents himself, comes across uh, as a fun-loving guy, but certainly a leader. And he's been in the program, played center behind just a, a just a laundry list of, of star players. And I think he recognizes what good leadership looks like. And from the center position, I think he's going to provide it. So those are uh, a couple of additional guys. Uh, Evan Neal. Is a quiet, a little more quiet player. At least that's my perception of him. But he is a beast. He's a hard worker. We've probably all seen the video of the box jumps that he does for a 360, 340 pound guy. I think he's dropped some pound, uh, dropped some weight. But 340 pounds is still huge at six seven. He's the first. He's still one of the first off the bus type guys. And he strikes me as like an EF Hutton. Uh, if you're old enough, you 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 remember the commercials. When he speaks, people will listen. And I think that he's he he probably is not boisterous. I don't believe. I don't think he's he's vocal in in sort of a, a crazy sort of way. But I think that when he speaks, that the team is going to listen. And certainly he. Uh, leads by example with his hard work. He's already, there's been interviews, there's already 
you know, examples of him speaking wisdom into the true freshman lineman, uh, J.C. Latham. And we'll talk about him as we wrap up, uh, as we do a, a review on uh, week one of camp. But I think Evan Neal is already uh, st- uh, speaking into some of these younger guys. And uh, I think he's going to be a leader, really a pillar across the offensive line uh, and in the locker room as well. Henry Toa Toa. Uh, thankfully, we can call him Hank. Now, he's a new guy, and you think, well, how is he going to be uh, a leader? So, some of the teammates, they don't even yet really know him. That's true, and that's certainly fair, but he's a known commodity. Uh, he comes in as is one of the best players in the conference, certainly Tennessee's best player, and joins our team and is day one. Day one shows up ready to work. Day one knows the playbook as well as as some of the other youngsters uh, showing up. Now, he had the advantage that he played it uh, for Jeremy Pruitt at at Tennessee, but nonetheless, he came in ready to work, uh, came in knowing the system, and he's going to step into day one starter status. And I think think that's going to be a model for some of the younger players. I also think that – Coming from Tennessee, he's seen it bad. He he has seen sort of the worst. What can it look like uh, when the team is 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 down, is losing, is not performing, uh, is deflated? He has seen the worst of it, and he came to Alabama to experience the best of it. And I just have this sense that that if things look like they might go sideways, if someone looks like they might go sideways, if someone exhibits, hey, like that smells like what we had at Tennessee, I think that he'll speak up and sort of preserve the culture that uh, that Saban has presented. I think there's a faction of youth uh, within this team that it's not like splintering off and we have divisiveness across the team, but I think there's almost like an unofficial leadership council if you will, with some of the youngsters on the team. Uh, again, not in the locker room, not at practice, so this is speculation and conjecture on my, my, my part. But I think of a Malachi Moore, I think of a Bryce Young, I think of a Brian Branch, maybe a Jace McClellan, even you know Jalen Milrow, a true freshman, Will Anderson. Uh, I think these types uh, of players, and there's others, uh, Taryn Arnold, a uh, true freshman, I just think there's a there's a nucle- nucleus of some of these young guys that are going to uh, sort of self-police, that they won't necessarily need a senior or fifth-year junior to fourth-year junior to, to step in and sort of lead the way, that they will self-police. They came to Alabama for a reason. They were part of highly, highly ranked recruiting classes. They're not afraid of competition. And they know that uh, they have sort of the the, the Saban iron sharpens uh, iron mentality uh, and that they're going to work together and provide leadership uh, for the team. Again, all conjecture on my part. Uh, I'm not walking the halls or practice fields, uh, but this is what I think in terms of uh, leadership across this 2020 20- 21 team. I do think if we look back at 2020, one of the most challenging football seasons that, you know, in many respects, any of us have seen COVID, civil unrest, the march. Uh, I think it was an unparalleled season in terms of distraction. Uh, it was also unparalleled in terms of success. And I think that planted very deep seeds. That team last year had significant leadership that came back that, that sort of made the season happen, so to speak. And I think that that served as an example 
and planted very deep seeds uh, on this roster that will benefit in terms of leadership, not only in 21, uh, but I think 22 uh, as well. So great question there in regards to leadership. Uh, those are some of the thoughts that I have. Question two, name, image, likeness. Uh, it's a real complex, you know, what do I think about this, right? It's a real complex uh, topic. I don't think there's an answer that we can give today that sort of sums up, you know, what it's what it's going to look like for the future. So these are some thoughts, some ideas, maybe even some predictions uh, that that we can that we can watch as uh, NIL sort of unfolds, uh, not only this season but subsequent seasons. I think this name image likeness. I think it squeezes the middle class within college football, and a lot of the changes that we see in college football are not designed, but they have the intention of squeezing the middle class. I think teams that already get the most attention will continue to get the most attention. Programs that are already dominating the landscape will continue to dominate the landscape. These teams are already getting the most eyeballs, the most TV exposure, the most media exposure, the most articles written about them. them. And so those players that are on those teams are almost by definition going to be more popular, more viewed, more marketable. And so as name and image likeness becomes a recruiting tool, where can I go to build my brand as an individual? Where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the programs that are already at the top of the heap. That's going to be, there's always going to be exceptions, but that's going to be sort of the gravitational pull. And you're going to have players that might, would have gone to a middle-class team they're going to go to sort of these upper class teams. And even if they're in a, in a backup capacity, the NIL platform is set up for them such that they should still have uh, success. So I think the, the rich get richer, the middle class gets squeezed in the, uh, in, in, our pro, in the NIL uh, program. I think water finds its level. Uh, what we're seeing right now, and the NIL has only been active since uh, July the 1st. So, even just a matter of weeks, it feels like the dot-com uh, boom in the 2000s, right? In the, in the, in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, right? It feels like, like pets.com, right? There was no monetization plan for some of these websites, but let's get these websites because they're going to be valued commodities, but no one knew how to use them. Now, we look back and people have been very, very successful marketing on the internet. But at the time, all the tools were there, but the knowledge wasn't. And so the 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 NIL feels a lot like that. So water is going to find its level in NIL just like it did, just like it has in the internet, right? You know, the Wild West days are over in many respects. And now it's a market where the rates are known. It's a market that, that, is, it's, it's a more intelligent market. There's more information. There's more knowledge. It's a much more knowledgeable uh, market. I remember reading an article back, you know, back in the day where they were valuing on in the financial reports, like the dollars of eyeballs or the value of eyeballs on their websites. Well, that's those. That's almost a useless or almost a valueless stat, especially when there's no monetization on your website. It doesn't matter how many people go to your website if you don't have a monetization strategy. And none of that really existed, sort of back at that time. They were valueless metrics, but nonetheless, they were being sort of uh, propped up. And that's what uh, I think this this NIL foul, uh, feels like. I think water is going to find its level. If we think about Malachi Moore, Hawkins, Sweet Tea, for a college football player, that sounds about right, right? Uh, Bryce Young getting almost a million dollars for whatever it is that he's marketing. 
that just sounds strange. That sounds odd. Uh, I'm certainly not rooting for him to fail, but does that sound like a, a really good investment? I don't. I don't know. Uh, what if he's just a really good player, but not, you know, sort of otherworldly? Is that is that a what if he what if he bombs? What if there's an injury? And again, rooting for none of this, but then that's a that's a bad investment, right? Now, if he goes on and, and wins a couple of Heisman's, then maybe he resets the market and and future players uh, are, are are really able to benefit. But that uh, just seems there seems an imbalance. I think we're seeing uh, uh, the Clemson quarterback is going to be on some Dr Pepper commercials. That's going to be interesting. Is that a distraction? I don't know. We'll see. Ohio State Quinn Ewers, who by the way looks like Steve Perry's little brother. Uh, reclassified. This should be his senior year from in in high school, and he reclassified so that he could join the college program. Now that may be really good for him, and he may be able to uh, to cash in, and he may enter a quarterback uh, competition certainly a year ahead of when he would have, uh, and and maybe that benefits his, him from a competition standpoint. But what does that do from a roster management standpoint? That just feels like a negative event that sort of landed in Ohio State's uh, lap there. And so that's going to be interesting uh, to see how uh, to see how that plays out. Uh, you know, NIL, another sort of factor. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of cheesecake. And uh, it's hard not to sound like either uh, a pervy old man or sort of a brimstone evangelist when I say this and, and, and think about this. But a lot of college athletes – Maybe not football athletes, but a lot of college athletes, uh, they're going to they are looking to boom or to grow their social media followers. And so uh, they'll make money based on sort of monetizing their their uh, their follower count and and being an influencer, whatever all of some of this even means. Uh, Some people are going to do that because they're funny. Some people are going to be able to do that because they're creative or are clever. Some people are going to do that just because they're a popular athlete and, and that gives them a level of fame. And you know what? Some people are going to do that because they're just darn fun to look at. And uh, when you start building your social media presence on that, where can that go? Uh, Connect those dots there. Overall, I think NIL is positive. I think it's appropriate that, um, that these athletes, that these players, that these college students, that they are able to, to cash in on their performance. They're able to cash in on their level of fame. Uh, I just think there's the potential for this to be a little bit of a bumpy ride uh, until sort of the the market, if you will, is defined. And so that'll be that'll be an interesting uh, thing to watch. Uh, question three, and we'll wrap with this one. What do I think about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC? And there's a lot to think about it. So let me just run through some quick thoughts. Um, Texas, sort of the whole saga, right? The whole drama of Texas and Oklahoma joining uh, the conference. It seemed to unfold really, really quickly. And uh, what did the media rights for them uh, don't expire in the Big 12 until, what is it, 2025? And so that's the earliest, uh, unless it's otherwise negotiated, that's the earliest that they could join uh, the conference. And so what that leads me to believe is that this was not for public consumption. Uh, I think someone found out and uh, and made it public. And who do I think found out? <laughs> I think it was Texas A&M. And uh, they demonstrated themselves as the as the Karens of the conference. They really just went wall, uh, hog wild for a little bit. They're really talking about a gentleman's agreement with an otherwise deceased uh, SEC, former SEC uh, commissioner. Um, and they really demonstrated what, what I would term uh, a real lack of self-confidence. They felt that 
they couldn't compete in the program if or in the conference if, if Texas joined. And that that may end up being true, but that level of self-awareness or that level of lack of self-confidence, given how much better they are than from uh, as Texas right now, was was really is really I would I would say surprising. And I think ultimately it, it embarrassed them, and and I think they they came to realize uh, realize that what they should have done is said yes. How fast can we get Texas in the SEC? How can they be here tomorrow? Can we play them in the opening week of the season? That's how fast we want SEC. Uh, we want them in the conference. That's how fast we want to have a green light to play them because we've built up our program and we will boat race them right now and let's beat them while we can because ultimately ultimately the flip side is Texas A&M has a right has a reason to be maybe not a right but it's certainly a reason uh, to be scared about Texas joining the, the conference Texas is going to win big by joining the SEC. If it helped Texas A&M a little bit, it is going to be rocket fuel uh, for Texas. Uh, and so not really, so frankly, not only should Texas A&M be arguing, let's get them in the conference as fast as possible. The entirety of the SEC should be arguing that. So we can attempt to keep them under our thumb by playing them. If Texas has the next three years to recruit the hell out of being in the SEC while not actually being in the SEC, then they're going to build up their team before they come, before they're actually competing and playing in the SEC. If they have to promote themselves being in the SEC while they're getting the daylights beat out of them by the likes of South Carolina and Mississippi State and Ole Miss and and Missouri uh, and Kentucky, then that's going to be a much harder sell for them. So if they are not, if they are able to put off joining until 2025, that's really a win for them because they can re- recruit as if they are in the conference, but they don't have to get battered and beaten by being in the conference. And then, and like I said, when they join in a couple of years, they'll have a much better team. What other thoughts? Uh, Texas and uh, Texas and Oklahoma joining the conference. I wonder, uh, Texas uh, Texas is known as a bad neighbor. Teams have left the conference to get away from Texas. So I wonder what teams like Missouri and Arkansas uh, think. Uh, they've shared a conference with Texas before, so that would be interesting. I think Oklahoma, let's think about Oklahoma a little bit. I, I have sort of a little pet theory that, that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 are – they're about approximately, uh, I would say they're equals. Uh, Texas, I think, has a little more cachet, but Oklahoma is dominating the conference. So they are sort of, you know, tango and cash in the Big 12, if you will. They're, you could call them, uh, you could call them uh, equals. When they're in the SEC, the SEC brand is going to legitimize Texas uh, in a way that it will not Oklahoma. Coming to the SEC kind of makes Oklahoma look like Texas's lackey. To Oklahoma is so much the better program than Texas right now in the Big 12. But Texas says, hey, why don't you come with me? Let's go over here. And Texas knows, and Oklahoma probably does too, because I think they have sort of daddy issues with Texas. They say, let's go over here to the SEC. And Texas knows that they will end up the better of the two programs when they get the branding, the SEC branding 
Uh, they're able to siphon off some of the recruiting that Texas A&M is getting. And frankly, they're going to be able to siphon off some of the recruiting that Ohio State is getting. Ohio State has some success recruiting uh, in the state of Texas. Oklahoma is going to net out about even. But what they have now netting out even is probably a nine-win team or maybe a three-loss team in the SEC. Texas, if they siphon off some of the recruiting from A&M and they siphon off some of the recruiting uh, from Ohio State, maybe they keep a guy from going to LSU. Maybe they grab a guy out of Louisiana that they otherwise wouldn't have. Now, Texas all of a sudden has something to play with there. They are going to uh, buoy themselves up. Oklahoma, they won't have to change at all to not be as good of a program. Their team on the field may be equally as talented, but it's a three-loss team in the conference. And so I think that's going to be an interesting thing uh, thing to see play out. Uh, Ohio State, we talked about them. And I really start to think about, man, is, is, is Greg Sankey playing 3D chess here? Let me grab Texas from, from a state from which Ohio State – annually picks up three, two, three, four guys. We mentioned uh, the Ewers kid straight out of Texas. And so if that's two, three, four guys a year that's not going to Ohio State, they're going to Texas, Within now those kids are SEC players, and we've just taken a sliver of capability away from Ohio State. That's interesting. That's interesting. I don't know if it's true, if I'm reading too much into it, uh, but I think that's interesting. I think if you look at a team like uh, Tennessee in the program, uh, in, in the uh, existing uh, conference, I think this just heaps misery <laughs> on those guys. Like, holy hell, we are falling in this conference as it is, and you and you you bring two teams ahead of us that are immediately uh, ahead of us and, and really sort of tamp us down. Uh, it's going to be har- much, much harder for a team – uh, like Tennessee to to write themselves in a in a um, uh, and look I'm not upset about that uh, the Big Twelve remnants uh, I think they're nearly dead in the water uh, what they need to do there's this whole sort of discussion uh, the media rights that Texas and Oklahoma have that they don't have that the conference owns them they've signed them over to uh, to the Big Twelve and that's standard for sort of group negotiation for a conference. Everyone signs over their uh, their media rights so that the conference has the, the power, the authority, the legal uh, ability to negotiate contracts on behalf of the individual teams, right? And so these uh, contracts for uh, Texas and Oklahoma run out uh, just ahead of the, the 2025 season. And so the thought is, you know, SEC can buy those out, those rights out early or they don't join the conference until 2025. We've talked about reasons why other teams in the SEC should try to welcome these teams in early. Don't give them time to recruit with the brand without having to play the brand. That's certainly one thing. The Big 12, the remaining teams in the Big 12, they would do very well to negotiate some sort of alliance with the SEC, some sort of play rotation with the SEC, because when they lose these, when they lose Texas and Oklahoma, they truly they're dead in the water. The value of their media rights tanks, and it's a collection of teams, frankly, that no one wants. Once you take out, you know, the top two, who else in the conference is? I want to say they're not valuable, but as media commodities, as TV sort of brokers or contracts. What is there? Not a lot. And so what they should look at is 
how can they negotiate in an alliance with the SEC to, to buoy the value, the TV right value of their remaining teams? And so that's certainly something that I think the Big 12 get mad, get over it, and plan for the future. And an alliance with the SEC, I think, uh, I think is, uh, I think is a, is the way they should go. What's next? I think that's the biggest question. And there's there's uh, talk of uh, what is it? The pack and the big and the ACC uh, putting together an alliance to sort of freeze out the SEC. That'll be interesting. I think if the SEC got really aggressive and started picking picking uh, individual teams, uh, they wouldn't have to pick too many teams before they started to have some success there. So, uh, so that'll be interesting. They could also use that as a negotiation ta- tactic. You guys are going to try to form an alliance with us. That's cute. I'm going to place a phone call to Clemson, and I'm going to place a phone call to uh, to Michigan. I'm going to place a phone call to USC. If you guys are going to keep up these antics, then then. Sankey, uh, I think Sankey could play that card. So I think uh, I think I think the cards are really in Sankey's hands, and it's going to be interesting to to see how to see how it plays out. But nonetheless, uh, a couple of mailbag questions. Uh, again, one of these questions was submitted in uh, let's call it a Zoom team uh, email thread that uh, that we stood up last year. And so, if you're interested in joining the Zoom calls and maybe getting in uh, in some of those email threads, sign up. Sign up to the the, the member program, and uh, we'll go from there. First two Zoom calls have been scheduled, and uh, the invitations are forthcoming. Meanwhile, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.